everybody, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The show is Across the Pond, and that's because we're recording from the East Coast over here in the United States of America, the, the sort of United States of America right now, and we love talking every week about red-letter Christianity. If, if you look at some of the old Bibles, like not the one on your phone, but a real Bible, and you turn to the, the Gospels, a lot of the old Bibles have the words of Jesus uh, highlighted in red. And we like to ask ourselves, what if Jesus really meant that stuff? What, what if Christians look more like Jesus? What if we took the red letters of the Bible, the words of Jesus, seriously, as you like to preach? Yeah, yeah. And, and so we, we also like to have guests on the show that are after that same kind of red letter Christianity. I think uh, anybody that's got their eyes open right now knows that uh, a lot of times Christians are not known uh, for the things that Jesus was known for. Um, and sometimes we're known for some of the things he spoke out so uh, passionately against. Let me tell so, you about Luis Cortez. Who yeah, is so our we guest. got a great guest. Tell us about him, Tony. Well, he, uh, he's basically uh, a founder of a lot of what's going on in the Hispanic community, Christian-wise. Uh, he's, he's been a primary organizer of the Hispanic prayer breakfast. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You know, they get these uh, Hispanic... Uh, Christian leaders from across the country to come together in Washington. And uh, generally speaking, the President of the United States shows up. I want to hear what happened if, in fact, Trump did show up this year. Uh, I, I, he, in addition to that, he's, uh, he runs a thing in downtown Philadelphia, actually in the northeast part of Philadelphia. Right around the corner from us. Yeah. Right. Esperanza Ministries. He, he's got a junior college going, uh, uh, two, first two years of university education. He's got a high school, uh, what we call a charter school, with hundreds of kids in it. Uh, he's got He's got more stuff going. I don't know how Pretty he does much it Pretty every all. time you see a list of like the most influential evangelicals in the country, uh, uh, Luis Cortez is on that list. And so sooner, sooner or later, every politician has to go to North Philadelphia to Luis Cortez's office and bow low <laughs> if he's going to get the Hispanic vote. So uh, it's no more bowing to Caesar. Yeah, yeah. The, the Caesar's hey, coming to bow to Pastor Luis Cortez. Yeah. Hey, hey, guy, what's happening in your life these days? What's got your blood running hot? Well, we're in uh, the new year, and in <laughs> Philadelphia, one of the big issues uh, that we're starting to look at is the issue of gentrification, mm. the moving out of people who have less economic means, moving, uh, the buying up of neighborhoods. Mm. For wealthier people, uh, it's just an, it's an economic thing. It isn't necessarily racial, but it has a lot of racial implications, uh, and it, it hurts uh, communities that are not doing as well economically that need a, a, a little bit of help, or like they like to say, people like to say, that need a hand up. Instead, they're getting pushed out. Mm. So that's one of the big issues. Uh, we're also dealing with issues... Um, in our country regarding immigration yes. at the yeah. national level, uh, building of walls and uh, a government that is stagnant uh, and not able to move. And people over the pond, I guess, on the other side are having their own Brexit conversations. Right. So we're, we're finding a time in, in our, our world history where the inability for countries to communicate with themselves has created chaos. Mm. And has created uh, the inability to focus on taking care of its its poor. Never mind that we can't take care of our economies. We can't we can't function politically. We can't have dialogue. And so there's a loss 
of the ability to dialogue mm-hmm. with the person who's your neighbor who doesn't agree with you. And I think that's a, a major problem that goes beyond no- neighborhoods. And we're talking about nations now cannot, com- cannot have dialogue without themselves, without uh, viscerally attacking and destroying one another. Now, you're dealing with the issue of immigration, but uh, a big problem that is uh, troubling all of us is the handling of undocumented uh, immigrants, people who have come into this country and haven't gone through the hoops of uh, uh, getting the proper uh, legal uh, agreement. And, and, you know, most people in the United States don't understand that if you're poor, you can't come into this country legally because— uh, you come in, you don't have a green card. That's very important, a green card, which means that it, it takes about two years to get a green card. So who's going to feed you? Who's going to house you? Who's going to take care of you for those two years? Uh, and you're going to have to hire a lawyer. Where are you going to get two or $3,000 to hire a lawyer? And uh, to become a citizen, it takes like about eight years, and it takes a huge amount of money legalized. People just can't afford to do that. And so they come across the border illegally, not because they want to, but if you're poor, you have no choice. So how are you dealing with that whole question of undocumented uh, immigrants? And we have, what, 11 million uh, undocumented uh, people living here in the United States. How are you dealing with all of that? Well, it, the issue of immigration is quite complex, and which is one of the problems. We live in a society where people don't want to take deep dives yeah. into any issue. Uh, never mind one like immigration, but there are actually over 20-some-odd, uh, in the high 20s, I, can't I think it's 28, 27 ways to become a citizen. So when people say you have to wait online to be a citizen, the real question is which one. The easiest line to be on is the wealth line. If you can create, if you can put a million dollars in a bank, create seven jobs, and maintain those seven jobs for three years, you, you'll, you'll get citizenship for yourself and your family. And then on the bottom end of the rung, in, in terms of economics, um, you can uh, be in the lottery, which is uh, approximately 50,000 every year, 50,000 um, mm. uh, visas are given for people to come to the United States from countries that don't have high immigration numbers to the United States. There's millions and millions and millions of people in that lottery and every year, 50,000 people will win it. Um, and so you'll have people come from all over the world. The difficulty in immigration policy in the United States is that we've never really dealt with it as an immigration policy. We've dealt with it as a policy about who, what are the ethnic or religious groups we like more or less. And so uh, the economics of of, of the what we're going to call illegal immigration are such, that when we have need, we expand the door uh, to e- illegal immigration, and we encourage it. And then when we don't have the economic need, we try to close that door, and that's historically been proven. So the real question is, what should be uh, the economic policy of a, of a country and the immigration policy of a country? And uh, unlike what a lot of people believe, most Hispanic communities do not believe in an open border policy mm-hmm. because our country would not be able to take on all the people who would want to come. So a country does have to protect its borders. A country does have to have a system that is legal and fair 
so that everyone has the same advantage or disadvantage to coming into the country. Uh, and a country has a right to decide who comes in and who doesn't. We had a system that for years worked a certain way, and today Congress still refuses to fix a broken system. And instead, the conversation is about building a wall, which may or may not um, provide what the builders of the wall want. Because at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people come in, half of the people who come into this country are what are called visa overstays, so, uh, uh, which are people who come in legally, they have a visa, and they have a visa to visit. And they come and they visit, and then they stay. So if you build a wall, you, you technically would only stop maybe if you caught everyone and the wall stopped everyone. It'd be about 20% of the people who come into this country um, undocumented, undocumented and, or, or illegally, however you want to yeah. say it. It, it really, uh, people who come into this country illegally for illicit reasons, because they're, they're um, bringing in drugs or contraband, of some sort, they will just find another way to bring it. So if you build a wall, they'll bring it through private planes, which they do today. They bring it through boats. They bring it through submarines. (laughs) So um, there are small two-person submarines, uh, and if anyone wants to, you could actually see this on the Internet. National Geographic did a program on it. I saw that, yeah. You know, uh, every time I talk to you, I learned something. I I didn't learn any. I, first of all, that submarine thing is a is a new one to me. But the 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 thing about uh, the system structured so that rich people, if you're a multimillionaire, you can come to this country almost immediately uh, if you can provide jobs, if you can bring in finances for uh, investing in the infrastructure of the country. I, I I didn't know that element was there. And of course, oh, the that one element that element exists uh, all throughout Europe as well. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it, you think of those words on the Supreme Court: yeah. "Equal justice under the law." Yeah, you, you got to be kidding. Still an aspiration, isn't it? Yeah, and of course, what you didn't deal with, and uh, and you will be the first one to admit that a lot of the hostility towards these undocumented uh, people coming in is a latent racism, if it, if we can even call it latent. Uh, where well, it isn't, and the it isn't pres- latent anymore. Yeah, we the saw, president of the United States articulates it with clarity. They're rapists, they're murderers, they're thieves. We can't let them into the country. Well, even even the the Latino judge, you know, there's there's. I mean, it's one thing after another, and you know, someone said well that Trump didn't change America; he just revealed America. He's surfacing right. things that were there, and um, I, I wonder, I wonder if you if you're hopeful now that people are, you know, there's a lot of people talking about immigration that that could have cared less a few years ago, and it kind of draws a line in the sand and you gotta you you gotta decide where you're at on some of these things right reverend Luis? well i, I i'd answer it two ways um it it, it it wasn't latent it was always there yeah minority people always said it was there because we've experienced it and we we realize it um majority culture was able to deny it yeah and so the majority culture would kept saying well you know black people you're paranoid african-american people are paranoid yeah. Uh, uh, Hispanic people are paranoid. Uh, Asian people are paranoid. Uh, indigenous peoples uh, are paranoid. And what what the last few years has shown, especially when you have a march with thousands and thousands of young men, mostly young men, um, dressed in khakis and polo shirts, marching with torches, 
screaming out in unison, Jews will not replace us. And when I saw, uh, when I saw that in Charlottesville, yeah. I thought for a minute, I said, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This was the, we had a war to stop uh, the Nazis uh, who had in their head that they were racially superior and that they should rule the world and that anyone who wasn't like them should serve them. And here we are, uh, just a year ago, we had thousands of young people march, um, making the statement, Jews will not replace us, which ties them to neo-Nazism and Aryan, the whole Aryan um, uh, hate piece. So we have that. It's a reality. We see all of Europe, where strong men and, and strong women, people from the far right, are winning their elections on the basis of keeping the other out, on the basis of fear. And there is a legitimate question that is asked, that has to be asked by every nation. How much can you take in of people that are poor from around the world? It's a legitimate question. Every nation has a right to debate it and come up with an answer. Yes, and as we debate it... And protect its sovereignty. But on the other side of that, you don't need to protect your sovereignty by demonizing the other. And you can find ways to say, okay, this amount of immigration is enough, and then this is what we're going to do for all these people that need help around the world, including our own citizens who need help. Because the nations of Europe and and the nations of North America are the wealthiest, are among the wealthiest in the world, and they need to find ways, we need to find ways to support people who are hurting. So if the United States wants to have a certain type of immigration policy, it should be debated, it should be discussed and voted on. Instead, we get no debate. And what we get is the demonization of each other, which creates a wider gap. It creates a wider gap in order to have a a future debate becomes impossible if I demonize not only the people who I don't want in the country, but now I demonize the uh, opposing party. Let's or, stop. Let's and, just and stop so for a moment. What because... we've created is the inability to dialogue, and and I see that happening globally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stop for just. Yeah, a second. you yeah. got to do a station well, break here. Yeah, the, we we've been talking with uh, Reverend Luis Cortez, the CEO and president of Esperanza, now one of the most influential pastors uh, here in the United States, incredible leader here in Philadelphia. Uh, you're listening to Across the Pond. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Uh, We want to invite you to go to our website, redletterchristians.org. And you can see there a covenant, a pledge to say, I want to commit my life to to Jesus and to the justice that was so close to the heart of Jesus. Uh, To this idea that the kingdom should come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're after, not just a a faith that's about a ticket into heaven, but a faith that's about bringing heaven to earth and reimagining the world that we live in so it's a little more like how God intended it to be. So thanks for joining us. We're going to dive right back into the conversation. Yes, I want to, ask, I want to ask Luis some of the things that he's doing because he's outlined the problems of America very well. But uh, you're doing some incredible things, not, in, not only in Philadelphia, but across the nation. If you had to sum up, some of the activities and some of the programs that you've initiated, what would you say? Well, uh, locally on the gentrification issue, we've begun to organize uh, uh, Latino community agencies 
And what we're looking at is how can we buy properties and put them in a, in a land trust, which would perpetually uh, save these properties for low-income people. And that is possible in the United States. And we're trying to find uh, individuals who will help us financially to take properties in our community, purchase them, rehab them, and rent them out at 40% of income so that people, regardless of how much money they make, will have enough money to pay their rent and, and, have their, uh, and take care of their family. Uh, at the national front, we're looking at the immigration dialogue in a different way. We're trying to figure out how we get our church people to visit with our congressional leaders and say, you've got to have a dialogue. You've got to be open to these conversations. We dem- you have constituents go. So if you're in Kansas, you send Hispanic people from the churches in Kansas to their Kansas senator and say, or their congressperson and say, listen, we demand that you have dialogue. We're not saying you have to agree, but we're saying that you must be able to speak to these issues and be coherent in your position. Because today you don't have to be coherent as a political leader. You can say whatever you want and no one holds you accountable to it as long as you're not getting tweeted by your quote-unquote constituents that you're crazy, right? So we're looking at how can we activate people to push their congressional leaders to be coherent and, and informed on the issues. You'd be surprised how many people in Congress don't know the, the nuances of immigration. They just, they just say, oh, we can't have illegals. Yeah, well, uh, well when, that's correct. We can't have illegals. So yeah. how do we then go about fixing that? You speak in such a knowledgeable way on these issues. Uh, the thing that I want our people to understand is if they were to walk into the building that houses your office, Esperanza Center in North Philadelphia, I mean, you look around, there's all kinds of things. Uh, there's a desk where people who are looking for jobs can go and get information and even get help in job placement. Uh, you have uh, things for women who are pregnant. You've got all kinds of things going. List some of the programs you have going at Esperanza. Well, we have an immigration office. We have a financial education office. We have a high school with 700 young people. We have a middle school with 700 young people. You have we a have medical a center. Uh, we have a cyber school with 350 young people. Most of the young people in the cyber school uh, are in the cyber school because of issues that didn't permit them to be in the traditional school system. Um, we, we build housing, affordable housing, so we do large projects. Our last project was something called the Roberto Clemente Homes, which was 38 units. We took an old factory, tore it down, and built uh, 38 uh, two- and three-bedroom units for low-income families. Uh, we do organizing at the national level on immigration. Locally, we have lawyers who's, who will meet with anyone that has immigration needs and, and, and help them out. So uh, we run a junior college with Eastern University, and so we have a uh, Esperanza College of Eastern University, which has 500 uh, young people studying. Uh, it's a Christian school, so we teach uh, Christian values there. And at the same time that we're teaching the Christian values, they're getting an associate arts degree in one of 11 majors. We do tree planting. We do uh, <laughs> small businesses. Uh, we, we support 200 small businesses in our community, in our neighborhood. We support them in, in different ways. We help them do their taxes. We help them do facade improvements. We help them with tech if they need it. We help them with security. And by help is we, we both 
find them small grants, uh, which help them acquire, for example, security cameras, which we think are really important in our neighborhood. Uh, and then we do street cleanups and block captains. I think I got it all. There's a wow. few other things Whoa. we do. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. All I'm that. tired yeah, just out. listening to it. So one of the, one of the things well, that... Well, it's I don't do all these things. We have 450 people on our staff. Wow. And they're the, po- they're the folks who do the work. I just get, I'm the lucky one that gets to come on your programs. And, oh. uh, well, and, and living around the corner from you, of course, I see all the wonderful fingerprints of, uh, of Esperanza. And uh, people, a lot of times folks say, that, that's Esperanza too. I'm like, you can't have too much hope, you know, and it's just spreading all over the neighborhood. I wanted to talk a little bit about the economics. We got about, you know, five or six minutes here. But, okay. I, you know, the, when, you, when you look at Philadelphia, Philadelphia uh, was built around factories that moved out. And we've got, you know, hundreds of abandoned factories. We've lost tens of thousands of jobs. And that's kind of the, the elephant in the room, it seems like, when we're talking about restoring in our neighborhood, right? And, and uh, I know Dr. John Perkins, he once said, uh, uh, you, we've all heard the saying, if you give someone a fish, they'll eat for a day. If you teach them to fish, they'll eat for the rest of their life. But we also have to ask, who owns the pond? That's right. And what's preventing people from being able to fish for themselves? And you're doing that really beautifully. I mean, we, when we look at Philly, like one of our big economies uh, is the drug economy and the underground economy. And I, I wonder, like, what you're seeing is the cutting edge at trying to rethink how you restore a neighborhood that was built around factories that left. How do we create enough income and jobs for folks there? Well, small businesses are important. We're working with 200 of them, and we're trying to start new ones. And help pe- We don't start them. We help people start them. Um, and we give them spaces and buildings we own, um, storefronts and things like that, and, and te- technical assistance. I think on the job issue, uh, the, the, comp- the complexity of our nation right now is that as we move higher and higher into the tech sector, we are starting to lose jobs that we took uh, for granted. And so I'll give you an example. One of uh, My answer is this is the greatest challenge of our nation. Mm. If you look at... There are over a half a million. I'm so, uh, there are over a half a million jobs. I'm sorry, five million jobs are tied to driving trucks and transportation. Those five million jobs will probably be lost in the next 15 years when cars begin to drive themselves. And so the real question is: the answer always is, "Oh, we'll re-educate people." But the level of literacy that is needed to re-educate a person. Um, we are not hitting in the United States. And so my big concern is we as a nation have to figure out how we go back to something that was basic. Mm. Our economy grew tremendously when we started public schools and in the, between 1890 and 1940, the literacy rate, 19, yeah, 1960, the literacy rate of this country mm. doubled it no longer is doubling, and we need it to double. So the real question for the, the, my answer to you, uh, um, Shane, is we have got to figure out how to improve our schools and invest more in the education of our young people or our country who have larger, larger gap between the haves and the have-nots. And we really love your prophetic voice. It's yeah, a voice that... Uh, is being heard more and more across the nation. And we're 
we're really pleased to have you as a friend. Yeah. You should know that I am personally involved in the same issues. As of Sunday, I am taking <laughs> over as pastor of St. John's Baptist Church at, at 13th and Tasker in South Philadelphia. We're facing I know gentrification. St. John's Church on 13th and Tasker. What's that? Unbelievable. I know the church well. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that the, the Italians have moved out, and yep. uh, uh, the uh, young yuppies are moving in, and uh, we don't know how to handle this gentrification problem. So I'm going to be calling on you for advice on how do we function now, and we probably ought to end up with a coalition because we've already invited a, a Hispanic congregation to use our facilities. So uh, we see good things ahead for cooperation. I guess we're going to have to wrap up the show, aren't we, Shane? Yeah, we'd love to keep talking, and we, we will. But for, for now, we're, we're going to close up the conversation with Reverend Luis Cortez, an incredible friend and brother, uh, leader here in Philadelphia, but all over our country, and also an incredible uh, example of what it looks like to be a red-letter Christian. So thanks for joining us. We hope you'll uh, uh, keep joining us every week at this time, and you can go to our website, redletterchristians.org. Uh, you can write us letters and yes. emails, and we you follow us on social media. We uh, really want this world to look like what God wants it to be, for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So keep falling in love with Jesus and keep saying, what if Jesus really meant the stuff he said? So we'll see you. Goodbye for this this week. We'll see you next week.